Hi there, everybody, and welcome to Common Rider AA, a podcast where you don't suddenly spring two guest hosts on your co-host. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, Adam, <laughs> and I'm sorry that that chaos didn't even get to be released to the public. Yeah, and I teased it too, which kind of sucks. Uh, for those who aren't in the know, uh, a couple days ago, when we were supposed to, well, like almost a week ago at this point, uh, we were supposed to record the, this episode. I was I was rewatching the episodes like 10 minutes before we were, we were supposed to record, and I was watching them with two friends, so I introduced a Common Rider. And I decided, hey, do you two want to just suddenly dump on Adam that he's going to have to deal with four pieces of audio? And it devolved into the most chaotic stuff that has ever happened in the history of this podcast. I, I think I went on a, like, ten-minute Naruto rant talking about how Sasuke is a good character. <laughs> you did, yeah. It was the stuff of myth, and in myth it will stay. I do want to ask you, as a part of the pre-talk, uh, have you gotten Persona 5 Strikers? Uh, no, I have not. I I have 10 video games I need to play. I have not played a video game in so long. Oof. You gotta begin the shakes at this point. <laughs> Pretty much. All I play are my mobile games, and while those are fun, sometimes I'm like, why aren't I sitting in front of my Nintendo Switch and trying to get Zagreus out of the underworld? <laughs> but yeah, Persona 5 Strikers is very good. I'm on the second dungeon. And it's the dungeon belonging to, well, I, I won't spoil that. But what I will say is that the isekai genre gets shit on. And I am so happy. <laughs> I, I like isekais. I love isekais. They are so overdone. I can't, I can't take it anymore. They're just so many of them. And they're just the same recycled premise over and over again. I, I will say my one complaint with the isekai genre is how overplayed it is. There's so many. Well, what is not an isekai, although, God, Kamen Rider... Uh, I need to figure out if there's any Kamen Rider isekais. Anyways, uh, Kamen Rider Keeve episode 17 is Lesson, colon, My Way, which was uh, directed by Hidenori Ishida, you know, a man we trust, a man we believe in. And uh, it was written by a new face, a new legend... Soji Yonimura, the man who wrote most of Kamen Rider Kabuto, as well as the back half of Decade. And he's done, like, half a dozen uh, Kamen Rider movies, including uh, some uh, the first Movie Wars, which was the Decade uh, double co crossover, uh, Superhero Tyson GP, Kamen Rider 3, one of my favorite movies. So this guy has experience, and I think it shows for these two episodes, or... Did he write the next episode as well? Yes, he wrote the next two. Uh, I just found out that he wrote something in 2020. Uh, he wrote the uh, movie slash special Kamen Rider Deno, Pretty Deno Appears, where a uh, young girl uh, becomes Kamen Rider Deno and fuses with Momotaros. Huh. I think I've seen gifs of that, of her henshin. But yeah, uh... We open up episode 17 in what is presumably the interior of Castle Duran. Wataru is lying unconscious, naked, probably, in a white void space, covered in rose petals. Ricky and Ramon come up and discuss whether to kill Wataru. Apparently, if Wataru is dead, they can leave the castle. Jiro shuts them down, though, by reminding them of a promise they made to Otoya. 
Wataru wakes back up in his workshop and wonders what the deal was with this dream he just had. With future knowledge, they're ta they are taking some liberal assumptions on their quote-unquote path that keeps them in there. And also, so many rose petals. Uh, that is something that uh, Emily, uh, who featured on one of our uh, commentary videos, she just could not stop... I'm just, I'm just dreaming of the days of the chaos episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> Most of this is going to be being like, uh, do you remember when Emily just asked why the child looked like a child? I don't. I think I repressed that memory. Um, something I will say is, do you think that Wataru knows about Ricky, Ramon, and Jiro? Like, as entities that exist? Or do, does he only know them as the arms monsters, as in, like, his equipment? Ugh. <sighs> That's a very good question. There's no indication that so far that he seems to be aware that they're actually people instead of uh, weapons. Uh, I honestly couldn't say. I, I'm going to say I he doesn't know much about his dad aside from what his mom told him. So Most of which was wrong from our perspective because apparently, yeah, my dad was a kind, gentle man who had a heart of justice. Meanwhile, that episode was the lawyer one where we see him like drinking and gambling and being like, <laughs> hey, you should buy every single club in Shibuya and then name them all like whatever. And then you'll make a million bucks. Here's my violin playing. And then he just yeah. fucks off. From the clues I have so far, I think it's I think Wataru only knows the arms monsters as weapons at this point. Also, I'm going to say I'm going to say this very different Jiro than Jiro in the past, because Jiro in 1986 would not be like, hey, we made a promise to Otoya. We need to keep it. No, he, he would be like, oh, Otoya, I will never promise that man a thing. And if I did, I would immediately break it and then rip his throat out. He his 2008 self seems a lot more humble, I think. Yeah, it. it it is very much kind of like there are two Jiros, and I love it. Yeah, maybe he went underwent character development in between 86 and 2008. But yeah, in Wataru's workshop, Kivat has apparently come down with a cold or his species equivalent thereof. Kivachu! Yep. Wataru's still reeling from the revelation about Daichan, Wonders aloud what the point is in fighting the Fangires if every other good person he meets is another Fangire. Like, right now he's like, let me think. There was Daichan. There was the frog Fangire with the Black Star uh, violin. Who was, was there any other ones that looked like good people? Because he immediately sussed out the talent scout, right? Yeah, he did. The lawyer didn't even pretend to be a good person. Yeah. Uh, oh, Stalker, Stalker Chan, the sheep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they. He thought he thought the Stalker was his fellow bodyguard for a while. That's true. So that's like three for eight, pretty much. Yep, uh, that's not a very good a good statistic to have if if three out of eight people you meet are Fangires. Well, if three out of eight Fangires you meet are good people, or you think they're good people. Yeah, but they're actually Fangires. In a parking garage, some security guards are loading briefcases into a van. Uh, so, I'm, I'm going to bring up another thing from the Chaos episode. Yeah. Emily thought that these were corrupt cops for some reason because they were walking weird. Which just sounds mean thinking back because they aren't meant to be corrupt or anything. She was just making fun of the way these poor people walked. That they were overly robotic, I believe. 
suddenly a white sedan pulls up and its driver wearing a rubber mask, which I think is in the likeness of George Bush. It was George Bush. George <laughs> W. Bush, that is. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so perfect. This, this is a perfect episode, if only for what happens with Keisuke. This masked man assaults the guards and takes the briefcases. Keisuke, out of nowhere, bum-rushes the man and removes his mask and identifies him as a bounty. Keisuke tries taking a button off the robber's shirt, but he can't for some reason. He stitched it up too tight. He, he, he double-stitched it in. The robber, Sakichi Sakaguchi, laps at this and knocks Keisuke away. Sakaguchi then gets <laughs> back into his car and drives away, but... Props where props are due, Keisuke persistently chases after Sakaguchi on foot. He doesn't just... This is something Hayden, the other guest that we would have had on this episode, mentions... Usually we see this in TV where somebody's, you know, running after someone in a car. They go, like, 20 steps or so, and it's like, ah, darn, I lost him. No, Keisuke runs. He runs like Captain America. And, and he doesn't stop running. He, just... he never... He's just shouting... My button! Give me my button! He sounds like a serial killer! <laughs> this would be... I pointed out before in the Chaos episode that this would be something that would be perfect for a Coen Brothers movie. It you, would you, be. You would just have to take out the music and it would be... It would just be... Ma, just perfect. He's just... He's just running after this car. He catches up! He catches up to the car. <laughs> So good. Keisuke is not human. He's some sort of like gray goo robot. Except yeah. instead of gray goo, it's just buttons. <laughs> Back in the Kurenai home. Oh, uh, also, I meant to say paperclip. Like the paperclip AI is the thing that will eventually turn the entire universe into paperclips. Gray goo will eventually be self replicating nanites. It's the same thing, but slightly different uh, contexts. Back in the Kurenai home. Shizuka and Megami are looking for Wataru, who has suddenly disappeared. Megami finds a note from Wataru saying that he's going on a small trip and to not bother looking for him. Which, I think this is actually a really good case of character development for Wataru. Because, think about Wataru at the beginning of the show. He was afraid of going outside. Now he, I mean, yes, he's sad and feels the need to just leave and get away. But his way of doing so is to leave his house and, like, go outside, a place where he thought he was, you know, allergic to. Yeah, he's grown quite a bit so far. In 1986, Otoya is playing on a rooftop. Yuri comes running up to him, because everyone in this world knows where everyone is at all times and distance has no meaning. Yuri asks Otoya to give some violin tutoring to an acquaintance's daughter. At first, Otoya refuses, but then offers to do so if Yuri goes on a date with him should the girl pass this audition that she's going to be having for violin playing. I think the best part is neither of them look happy with the situation. Like, Otoya for the first half of the conversation is like, oh, you know, his typical, oh, 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 Otoya self. Then, he, then I think he makes the, his fatal mistake of being like, all right, I'll do it if you go on a date with me, and starts walking away expecting it to fail. Then, she, then then Yuri has a look of, like, she saw the specter of death in front of her and says, all right, fine. And Otoya's face falls 
And he just like, um, uh, what, uh, uh, what? No, what? He did not want to teach this child. And Yuri called his bluff. Yuri, I don't, should she be so upset? She had been on a date with Otoya before during her manic episode when she sort of temporarily left the Blue Sky organization. To be fair, she was literally dealing with temporary insanity. Also, I, 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 I write off a fair amount of things in this episode to it being a different writer. Like, I, I'm, I'm sure, uh, like, I don't know if it was just that, uh, like, contract stuff that had uh, Toshiki Inoue not write these two episodes. Or if, like, he was, you know, like, or if he just wanted to let, like, a friend or, like, someone else write it. But so, so there, there's, a, there's a few things a little off. Like, Keisuke is bad, but he's not, like, chase a car down the street for five hours yelling about buttons mad. Back in 2008, Wataru is riding the machine Kiva down a road. We cut to Wataru next to a lake trying to skip rocks. He fails. He's not doing that well. <laughs> he then sees a woman with a bow practicing archery and approaches her. Practicing archie archery poorly. At the, at this point, she's like, well, I mean, okay. To be fair, much better than honestly the average person would. But like most people can't even hit the target. She's just hitting it around the edge of the ring. The two of them engage in conversation and seem to have a meet cute. For a second here, I thought she was going to be a romantic interest to Wataru, but Wataru fumbles a shot with the woman's bow and retrieves the arrow. He. <laughs> He is so comically bad at this. Like, it is hilarious and inspires so much pity. In 1986, Otoya and Yuri are meeting with the girl that Otoya needs to tutor. Oh, God. Yeah. They're meeting with, 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 with Kevin McAllister. Female Japanese Kevin McAllister. Can, can I describe this part? Can I, can I describe the traps? Because at first, Otoya, you know, looks up and sees, oh, ho, ho, you tried the whole, like, bronze pan filled with heavy things to give me a concussion trick. And, you know, manages to avoid that. It's like, all right, looks like the shoes, the foot, the shoes on the other foot now. No, the shoe's not on the other foot. He steps forward and, what, and the shoe's actually a bucket and it's on Otoya's foot. And this bucket is not filled with anything. It's just a bucket with a string attached to it, oddly enough. Otoya stumbles, the bucket pools, and from underneath the couch attached to the string comes a rotten banana peel. Otoya then slips on that banana peel that his flailing on with the foot bucket causes to like bring toward It's the how? This 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 she shouldn't be she shouldn't be doing violin. She should be working for like the Japanese Secret Service to create impenetrable traps. She could defeat the Fangire if you just give her a little bit of heavy artillery. She'd be able to trap them in like a maze of her own design. She's, she's, she's literally Kevin McAllister playing people like a fiddle. Just dump all the Fangires in a labyrinth underground. Like have her the Daedalus to their Minotaur as, as they just wander the labyrinth forever. It just straight up goes of go Avengers Arena on their ass. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, this uh, character uh, uh, Kurosawa Mami is either played by okay, yes, based on the dates, yes, this one is played by Renda Yamazaki, the young one, uh. a member of uh, Nokizaka Forty Six, 
a group that was made to be a rival to Akiba 48. All I know about Nogizaka 46 is that they did an, a Naruto OP and I didn't think it was very good. But yeah, Otoya falls for this trap of hers, and she arrogantly declares that a genius like herself doesn't need a tutor. I mean, no, what she, what she needs is military funding. <laughs> Japan would be a colossal world superpower with her. Like, she, sh she should have been the one to return in Kamen Rider Build. She, she would have brought Hokuto to victory. <laughs> Otoya asks her to play, and she does. Unsurprisingly, her playing is awful. What was it? Like, when I was listening, I thought it was... I, I couldn't tell if it was meant to be good or bad or decent. I thought Atoya was just like, well, all right, it's uh, hopeless. Goodbye. I played viola in uh, middle school, and that was kind of b about the same as I was, which is abysmal. Otoya tries wrangling her while smarmily declaring that he'll help her. The girl runs out, and Otoya gives chase. <laughs> He, uh, I'm, you, first of all, you don't have to add smarmily because it's a toya. He does everything with smarm. <laughs> Second of all, like at one point he just straight up starts smothering her with a pillow. Like up, shut, shut, shut up problem child. The adult is speaking. <laughs> the technically an adult is speaking. Back in 2008, Keisuke's- My button! Yep. Give Keisuke's... me my button! Keisuke's still chasing Sakaguchi. Come back here, Sakaguchi! That's my button! Yep. Sakaguchi reveals himself to be a fangire and kills a high school girl who's practicing tennis. Sakaguchi drives off with Keisuke running after him, yelling, That button is mine! He just wants his button. He doesn't... <laughs> buttons are just justice at this point for Keisuke. Four buttons! <laughs> okay. Like, say what you will about, like, some minor mischaracterization. Shoji Yonamura knows how to make a man run after another man shouting about buttons. Yes. That is something he has great skill in for doing. Back at the lakeside, Wataru's apparently been taken under the wing of this archer woman. They run a lap and talk about Wataru's job a bit. Yeah, when, uh, when Wataru mentions, yeah, I repair violins, she does, like, a little double take of, like, oh, violins? And uh, I'm, I'm going to ask, uh, the archer woman and young girl are both the same person. They are. Well, when did you figure that out? It, not until the beginning of next episode. Huh. Uh, Emily and Hayden, the two people that we chaosed with, uh, neither of them figured out until literally the very end. When it was explicitly said, oh, they're the same person. In 1986, Otoya is still chasing... I'll just say it, girl mommy around, trying to get her to acquiesce. <laughs> I mean, I know that's her name, but the unfortunate consequence of, you know, language means sometimes a normal person's name can result in my friends and co-host Adam saying, meanwhile in 1986, <laughs> Otoya is chasing around girl mommy. <laughs> it's an unfortunate and rare sentence. Thank God we don't just name the episodes after the episode titles. <laughs> no, I just take a weird thing we say and <laughs> pop it on there. But yes, Otoya's chasing her around, trying to get her to acquiesce to his teaching. He offers to get her lunch, and they go to Cafe Maldemore. Otoya is told by Boss that since he hasn't paid his tab lately, he'll need to clean the toilets in the cafe. You can't make Otoya pay his tab. 
he doesn't have a job. <laughs> Which, no, no, I don't think he has a job. I think he's just living off of his, uh, like... Royalties. Royalties, yeah. He's getting royalties for his rap album, because you know he put out an album. <laughs> of course. Otoya proceeds to shamelessly dump this chore on the younger mommy. It's not any better. <laughs> hey, young mommy, go do this chore. Go and mo young mommy, go unplug these toilets. It's not. Oh, God. <laughs> so much for every woman is a delicate flower. <laughs> In two thousand eight. Wataru is accompanying the older version of Mommy. Oh, it still doesn't work. <laughs> accompanying Big Mommy. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. I'm just... Oh. In 2008, Wataru is accompanying Archer Mommy. <laughs> Archer Mommy! <laughs> maybe, we should maybe we shouldn't say the word Mommy anymore. Kurosawa, then. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, Mami Kurosawa is played by Ryoko Yui, who also played uh, a minor, uh, like a character of the week in uh, Kamen Rider Double. All right. So the older version of Kurosawa is taking Wataru to the gym. When they bump into Megami, Megami calls Kurosawa an old lady and they fight over Wataru a bit. Yeah, they're fighting over who gets to be the big sister. Yeah, essentially. Back in the 1986 Café Maldemore, Yuri has just walked in. She demands to know where the girl is, or the younger version of Kurosawa. Where is she? Where's mommy? <laughs> God damn it. And younger Kurosawa walks out, having finished cleaning. <laughs> I'm gonna say, this scene may be uncomfortable, only for the fact that Atoya gets a dirty plunger in his face. And, like, now that I'm an adult, like, when I first watched this, like, I sure as shit did not clean toilets. I was like, oh, my toilet's jammed. I'm just going to use my parents' toilet until they, like, acquiesce and unclog my toilet for me because I was a little shit. Now I know, like, what specific situations different, you know, different toilet cleaner things are for. And oh, I didn't realize how directly on the shit that plungers tend to go. Jiro comes in, makes eye contact with younger Kurosawa, and flinches underneath her imposing gaze. Otoya demands that Jiro give Iksa back to him, and they propose having a duel in the form of a billiards game for it. In the form of the greatest billiards game of all time. <laughs> totally. Back in the 2008 gym, which is not the one that is owned and patronized solely by Shima... I, I think this is a public gym. It's what, or it might be actually, because uh, <clears throat> uh, Megumi was there, and Megumi often like goes to the gym at the very least to talk with Shima. He could just have his own private weight room in the gym, in that gym. Oh no, it's kind of big for one dude. Uh, you know Shima's a man of wealth and culture. <laughs> you know that man has animated decals on his car. <laughs> Wataru is struggling to keep up with older Kurosawa and Megumi. She's, they're, they're deadlifting and, you know, Megumi and Mami Kurosawa are, are like lifting probably like 200 pounds a piece. 
Meanwhile, Watchdru has like what, maybe forty pounds, and is like about to drop it and strangle himself. Yeah. They later move on to an informal archery contest when Kurosawa falls to her knees on account of some manner of PTSD-induced episode. In a dimly lit garage, Sakaguchi is continuing to troll Keisuke. Keisuke stumbles onto the scene, raving about how Sakaguchi's button is his. Sakaguchi transforms into his Spangire form, that of a sea star or starfish. And, uh, and now we get to find out his true name, the proposition related to the guillotine and the nest box. At the archery range, the older Kurosawa is telling Megami and Wataru about a time when she saw a pair of flying fangs kill someone. Yeah, that, that'll really mess up your day. Yeah. Since then, she has been prone to panic episodes whenever she hears similar sounds to what the fangs made. Also, it's, also it seems like whenever she does archery, kind of. Like, there's both, like, an audio and, like, a physical uh, trigger for her uh, PTSD. Yeah. Because of this, she lost the selection matches at the Olympics. With this information... Megami is able to finally identify her as Mommy Kurosawa. You're Mommy? Yes, yes, yes. Elsewhere, a young woman is bicycling when the starfish Bengire jumps her. Wataru senses this and excuses himself from Kurosawa and Megami. It, it, it's kind of a very Spider-Man-like scene. Because, like, most of the time he isn't really with people when this happens. And, like, if he is, like, they're in the middle of the attack and they get knocked out. Like, it's relatively rare for him to be like, I have to go, uh, wash my dog. Boom. Wataru comes up on the starfish Spangire and henshins into Kiva. Kiva summons Garlu Saber, but Keisuke has also entered the fray. Keisuke henshins into Iksa and uses his Garlu fake fusil to redirect the sword into his own hand. With Garlu Saber in hand, Iksa slashes at the starfish and at Kiva and as they fight, the episode ends. Uh, I will say a couple things. One, when this happens, Kivat says, what is that dumb wolf doing? So Kivat at least knows about Jiro on a conceptual level. Uh-huh. And also, this is the first and last time Keisuke uses any of the fake fusils. Cool. Is he never going to use the construction crane thing again? He, he uses it a few more times. Toshiki Inoue does not like writing toys into his show. So, like, he uses them for one episode. Or, like, gets his friends to put them in one episode. And then never uses them again. Uh, so, uh, uh, also, really quickly, uh, Sakaguchi uh, is played by uh, Shuei Ki. Who, uh, all, who, in addition to these episodes, played a politician in, in O's episode 32. He... He did. He gave a good performance, I think. He had a kind of a shit-eating grin and was and an overall trollish demeanor. He pulled off the whole Joker thing more effectively than the Spider Fang guy, I think. Yeah, he he was good. Uh, I I just realized who he reminds me of. Did you ever watch Generator Rex? I don't think I did. No. Uh, well, for those who did, it reminds me of the monster at the beginning of the episode where. Uh, he first meets uh, Doc Holliday's sister, where there's just this smiling monster that laughs at him, and it, like, basically pushes all of uh, Rex's buttons, and he kind of, like, has a bit of a PTSD-slash-panic attack. Huh. But, yeah, that brings us to our Writer of the Week. 
Uh, actually, it brings us to Lucifer Metal. Oh no, no escape. It brings us to the Guardian Crown, the red bat head slash guard plate section on the forehead that houses the Demon Emperor Stone. It serves to protect the Demon Emperor Stone. Its red coloration is due to the Demon Emperor Stone interference. Yeah, my writer of the week is Mami Kurosawa, particularly her older version. She takes to the- You like the older mommy? God damn it. She kind of takes on the whole big sister role to Wataru pretty naturally, and it was kind of sweet. I'm giving mine to Keisuke. Like, he was just so enjoyable. Like, we've given Keisuke monsters of the week before for being, you know, a bit batshit crazy, but still enjoyable. But this was, I was so happy to watch him just run and run and shout for his button that it looped all the way back around to Rider of the Week. <laughs> My monster of the week is the starfish Bangire. He was a nasty troll who actually made me feel bad for Keisuke. He was a nasty crime boy. Yep. Uh, my monster of the week uh, is probably going to be uh, Atoya for making that little girl clean the restroom. <laughs> That's fair. Also, also, Boss for seeing him do that and not saying anything. He's just like, hey, I just want that bathroom cleaned no matter what, so whatever. But yes, come, let me take your fortune. Welcome to Adam's Tarot Corner. I'm giving the upright devil to the starfish bangire. When upright, the devil symbolizes addiction and bondage. Bondage, you say? Yes, bondage. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't, Don't worry, that was the last one. I don't know if I believe you. The starfish bangire exploited Keisuke's apparent button-collecting compulsion and loved every minute of the suffering it caused. I don't think he had. I don't. I don't think Sakaguchi has any lines. By the way, I can only remember Sakaguchi's name because Keisuke has two lines in this episode. One of them is "My buttons," and the other is Sakaguchi. Yeah. I think the only thing Sakaguchi does is laugh and laugh. What, what, what was the viewership? It was 6.7%. And that's compared to the last episode's 5.2%. So the promise of Keisuke screaming brought the people back. Uh-huh. And they were in for a treat. My episode rating, eh, this one was fine. It was mainly set up for what came at next. So 6.2 out of 10. I, I'm just going to give it a straight 6 because I... I if, if, it, if the entire episode was just Keisuke running, uh, I, uh, honestly, like, everything except for uh, the Otoya stuff this episode, like, would probably be, like, an 8 for me. Because Wataru interacting with uh, Kurosawa, like, Keisuke, you know, going insane, like, all of it's really good. But this is just poorly written Otoya, where they, they wrote the jerk part well, but they forgot the heart of gold for until next episode. So that brings us to episode 18, Quartet, Listen to Your Heart's Voice. Directed by Hironori Ishida and written by Shoji Yonimura. This episode was released May 25th, 2008. I don't know why I said that. I wanted to say something clever about, you know, this writer-director team. Like, ah, yeah, I mean, we know they make a good team, but based on our episode ratings, they don't. So we start this episode with Ixa beating the crap out of Kiva. 
It's bad. It's legitimately very bad. It's pretty vicious, yeah. Like, he's not doing any technique. He's just going boom, boom, boom with the sword. Like, not stopping whatsoever. Like, all of the sparks coming from the suits. Yep. Kiva gets knocked away, but the starfish Bangar takes advantage of the situation to zap Ixa with a lightning bolt from its chest. And then he runs away, shouting, You'll never get my buttons, Ixa! <laughs> Essentially, yeah. The starfish retreats and Ixa turns back into Keisuke. Enraged, Keisuke punches a nearby pillar until his knuckles go blood. Or until his knuckles get bloodied. Yeah, un until his knuckles go blood. <laughs> you ever punch something so much your knuckles go blood? I mean, I'll get frustrated playing Dark Souls and punch the floor, but not hard enough to, for my knuckles to go blood. Uh, <laughs> thank you for yes-anding. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, then Wataru starts a very sad boy time. He does. Wataru tumbles down a hillside and tearfully says he doesn't want to fight anymore. In 1986, Otoya and Jiro are still embroiled in their billiards duel. Jiro is cleaning house until Otoya sinks the last two balls in a stroke. Why would you sum it up in those two sentences? It's not just that. It's not just that simple because Jiro is doing po He's Jojo posing whilst doing these shots. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure he does this thing where he kicks his leg up, you know, does a little pose, sets it down on the table like he's in Mission Impossible 5, like with that sexy ass sniper scene. And then puts like puts the puts the <laughs> it's broken puts her the, she's broken puts the pool cue like across his leg and fires and it's just the best thing that has ever happened and meanwhile otoya does not know how billiards work and it's like hey come on stop it why are you shooting so many times in a row and joe's like because I made the last ball in. Do you not know how this works? And the answer is Atoya does not. <laughs> However, Atoya, he ends up distracting Jiro at like the right moment. So like, you know, it gets to be Atoya's turn. He has, he has to sink one ball and then the eight ball. Except the eight ball is in front of... <laughs> Basically, it's an impossible shot. And then he tries to, like, do a thing. He bounces the ball and hits Jiro on the head. And then the two balls end up, like, getting in the pocket. And he wins by pure accident because Atoya rolls nothing but natural ones or natural 20s. <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it. Uh, now if the recap's done sucking the life from you. <laughs> no. It is not, but sure. Yeah, that's what it sounds. Sounds like you're suffocating under the weight. I straight up can't breathe. <laughs> oh no. Otoya himself is shocked by his success and makes up some line about how performing is all about inspiration to a student. Oh yeah, and Jiro goes, that's two out of three. It's not over yet. He, he starts he starts aggressively resetting the table. Yeah. Like without any prompting from anybody. He's, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Continue. Oh, oh no. Continue. 
In Shima's 2008 gem, Shima is briefing Megami about a new Fangire. This new Fangire at large apparently- Which, that, that might be credence to that Shima just owns a private wing of a public gym. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. She got there pretty quickly from the gym. I guess, yeah. But yes, the Spangire favors female athletes as its, as its preferred prey. I mean, so do I, but um, shh. Megami immediately puts the pieces together and does a Batman-style stealth bye-bye out of the gym. Meanwhile, the older Kurosawa is practicing archery only to see a pair of floating fangar fangs about to descend upon her. In Wataru's house, our good boy is moping. The bloody rose starts reverbing and Keisuke... In the bloody rose starts... And Keisuke runs in and starts shouting about buttons before leaving and letting the scene continue. <laughs> well, Kivat says it's time for Wataru to get to work. Wataru refuses and even comes close to destroying the Bloody Rose. But it's, uh, th this is honestly pretty powerful to me because Wataru hates fighting. Like, w Wataru hates conflict. Like, we know that every time he gets it, he starts fighting with uh, Keisuke, like, it basically drives him to a panic attack. Like, he refuses to fight Ixa. He just got attacked by Ixa with his own sword, like, Beat up by a Fangire, I, this is the breaking point, especially after Daichan. I 100% I believe that this boy, this like 22-year-old, who's basically being forced to go out and risk his life and kill people, like is sit, putting his foot down and saying, I don't want to do it, I don't want to go out there and hurt and be hurt. Meanwhile, Megami has just saved Kurosawa from being killed by the Starfish Fangire. Megami gets knocked away, though, and Keisuke comes onto the scene and henshins into Ixa. As the fight against the starfish goes down, Kurosawa calls the police. Ixa knocks the starfish back into its human form of Sakaguchi, and as Keisuke knocks the tar out of him, the police come just right in. He's punching him. He's just pu beating him to death. Yeah. Like, and Sakaguchi is laughing because I, I think he heard calling the police. I was like, oh god. I mean, at first I was just going to fight this man and try to kill him, but no, I'm going to drive him even more insane. Like, and I, I don't think he was beaten to human form. I think he purposefully went to human form so that the police would absolutely arrest Keisuke for beating a man not, fight, not, not fighting back. Huh. Yeah, that, that seems pretty valid. But yes, the police arrest Sakaguchi and restrain Keisuke from claiming his coveted button. And Keisuke's just shouting, Don't you know who I am? I'm Keisuke Nago, the famous bounty hunter. Sakaguchi, give me your button. As the police drag Sakaguchi off, we see that Mommy has apparently broken or strained her wrist while evading the starfish's attack. Back in 1986, Otoya and Jiro are continuing their billiards duel. No, no, no. They are not continuing their billiards duel. Jiro is continuing his billiards duel. Otoya is just chilling. Otoya is just hang. Otoya is just vibing right now, honestly. Otoya and throughout this entire scene, throughout every single sentence that Adam is going to say from here on out, Jiro is playing pool by himself like a mad lad. <laughs> Yuri comes storming in, calls out Otoya on lying to Kurosawa, and demands that he give her an actual lesson. The girl, having caught wise to Otoya's tomfoolery, 
runs out of the billiards hall. It, this implies that she thought Otoya was actually teaching her valuable violin lessons by making her clean toilets and watch him play pool. Yeah. This implies that this seven-year-old or whatever was, like, legitimately that dumb. <laughs> Otoya chases after her and has a sort of heart-to-heart -heart with her about not having to just live up to her parents' expectations and to just play violin from her heart. You gotta hear the music in your heart. Yeah. Which is something that's come up before with uh, the Black Star, with uh, that fangire from the second episode who was a violinist using it to uh, ensnare yeah. people. When mm. we saw him create life with his violin playing in the garden. In the 2008 Cafe Maldemore, Megami and Shima are discussing the legality of pursuing a fangire that is in police custody. Shima notes that one of the BSO's members is a higher up in the police just before Wataru walks in. Uh, which, by the way, is pretty scary because, like, they're basically saying, yeah, we're going to, uh, they're basically saying, yeah, we're going to use our member in the police to pull off an assassination in police custody. And then one of their members pretty much goes and does that. <laughs> like, obvious, uh, ob like, Keisuke was obviously doing that off books, but. Granted, it's. Not a human rights violation because the thing isn't human. What what defines a man? Like what what is the legal difference between a human and a fangire? A human is a miserable pile of secrets. Thank you. <laughs> and a fangire is a miserable pile of stained glass. Yes, exactly. A high five. Yeah. Megami tells Wataru that Kurosawa was hurt during the scuffle with the fangire earlier. She'll never walk again. I mean, she was she was hurt in the arm, but she's also never going to walk. For completely unrelated reasons, she's also never going to walk again. Uh, right, right after the Fangire attack, she got hit by a car and she's never going to walk again. <laughs> we next cut to Sakaguchi being escorted by the police. He gets put in a car only for a masked man to knock out all the officers. The masked man takes the driver's seat and unmasks himself, revealing himself to be Keisuke. Doing probably the worst thing that you can do in this situation. In 1986, the younger version of Kurosawa is finally having her audition. She plays an actually different tune from what we keep hearing, the one that you repeat over and over. And sensing the violation of the status quo, the universe itself makes one of the strings on her violin break. And then she continues to play, adapting it, adapting the song to be played on one less string, which I think gives, I think that automatically gets you in if you're able to improv like that. I, also, during this, is like sleeping the whole way through. And then like he wakes up a little bit during the uh, broken string bit, but then he just sort of falls back asleep and literally slumps to the ground. I, 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 I like to think that uh, Otoya could tell it wasn't being played from the heart. And so he's like, ah, oh, this is shallow dead violin playing i don't care how technically good it is there's no heart in this this display of violin playing prowess causes her to ace the audition next otoya yuri and younger kurosawa drive up to a scenic mountain range the girl asks to hear otoya's own violin playing and otoya agrees to it it's been like a week since i saw this in that scene does uh does the younger kurosawa like Slump, slump down and say, oh, I guess I'm, I don't want to play violin anymore? Or did I, like, add in that scene in my it's, brain? It's in an upcoming scene. 
Okay. But she does say that. Yeah. Uh, also, Yuri is like, hey, yeah, this is our date. Taking this young child to, like, the cliffs. Yeah. Here's our date. The cliffs of insanity. Yep. And this young child. Indeed. Virtualize, young girl, lest you lose your mind and spend your days just gibbering in an asylum. This is grown-up look spots. <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that. That's too easy. In 2008, Wataru was talking to Kurosawa about why she's continuing to practice archery in spite of her busted arm. Wataru alludes to his fighting Fengires as being something he doesn't really want to do, and Kurosawa responds that she also had something she didn't want to do. We then time Zishin as older Kurosawa's face fades into the face of younger Kurosawa, revealing they were the same person all along. And that's when Otoya demonstrates his violin playing, and the younger Kurosawa comes to the conclusion that she's never going to be as good as Otoya, and that she should just find something she wants to do herself, and that was apparently archery. Yeah, uh, also this is, uh, last, I believe it was, was it this episode or last episode when they were like, okay, it was this episode, um, they, they're, Otoya uses a turn of phrase that, uh, involves a thing like to pull or like to pull a bow or something like that, or a chord, yeah. which like could either be violin or bow and arrow, which is like another reference to them being the same Mami Kurosawa. Oh, Interesting. I, I can't remember the exact uh, like detail of the of the you know pun, but huh. in a dark alleyway back in two thousand eight, Keisuke seizes Sakaguchi's button, but doesn't pay much attention when Sakaguchi runs off. <laughs> Sakaguchi doesn't even like do anything to Keisuke. Really, he's just like, well, that was an adventure and a half. I'm just gonna go because you're too crazy even for me. Yeah. Keisuke has clearly lost his marbles at this point and laughs like a crazy person as Sakaguchi makes his escape. It's good. It's very good. This is one of those crosses the line twice type of moments because, you know, Keisuke, you know, like sort of breaking down into insanity, like from his like, you know, unending desire for justice and like following like an idolistic model of justice as an actual like idols rather than an actual model of justice. Like, that's some pretty deep and heavy stuff. But also, he's just trying to get that goddamn button and ran halfway across Japan on foot following a car to get it. Yeah, it's, he's got a compulsion. In Wataru's workshop, the good boy is reflecting on what he really wants to do. He comes to the conclusion that while he likes making violins, what he really wants is to protect his friends. And just in time for this epiphany, the bloody rose reverberates, Sending Wataru and Kivat on their way to hunt a Fangire. The boy is back, baby. Yup. Guess who is back? Black Clover OP4. It's back. Yeah, you got the rhythm mostly, right? Yeah. On the lakeside where Kurosawa practices, she notices the starfish Fangire trying to sneak up on her. In defiance of her fear, she looses several arrows into the starfish. She, honestly, she should join the Blue Sky organization. Yeah, this was a badass moment. But sadly, this had little effect. But Kiva comes running in to save her. Kivat and Wataru then summon all three arms monsters, changing Kiva's suit to have elements of all three of his prior forms, while also granting access to all three of the weapons they provide. 
Yeah, it's a Dogabaki form. Yep. As in Doga Hammer, Garu Saber, Bashamagum, and Kiva. Mm-hmm. Kiva then ends the fight with a darkness moon break, and Castle Duran noms the starfish's soul. And for the epilogue, we see Wataru and Megami watching Kurosawa, who has fully recovered from her injury, as she practices archery some more. And now that she knows there are no more monsters in the world, because all the ones she was aware of died, she's you know, feels safe and comforted. Yeah. Wataru wonders to himself who it was that originally told Kurosawa to follow the voice in her heart. And we cut to the photo of Otoya, which sits next to the Bloody Rose, and so ends the episode. I, I, I love it when the connection between episodes, like, shares a character, you know, like a small, a young character that grows up or like, or, you know, some, or a lot of the episodes with Rook, like eventually we get some Shima and Boss. I, I really like those types of episodes where they're directly tied together rather than just a thematic tie. Yeah. So what the hell's Lucifer metal? God, I wish I knew, but I can tell you about the great arm. The great arm. The arms. Influenced by Doga's power, the arm's muscular strength has increased tenfold, allowing Kiva to wield the Doga hammer with ease. Thanks to its strength, the destructive power of the Doga hammer is comparable to Kiva's darkness moon break. That's right. Theoretically, the Doga hammer, like like not not even a Doga hammer using a wake-up fusel, is like comparable to a finisher move. Uh, my writer of the week is Mami Kurosawa, specifically her older self. She doesn't have a particularly interesting or compelling instance of PTSD, or I don't think it's terribly well-written since she's just a character for this single arc. You can't really bother to get into it. And it's also 2008, so people didn't realize how to properly write PTSD. Yeah. Regardless, her moment shooting at the starfish Bangar was great. Yeah, uh... My ride of the week is actually going to be Otoya. Like, because I think he did redeem himself greatly for how shitty he was last episode. Like, the, the scene at the billiards, at the, at the billiards place, that broke me. That, that's, that, that caused me to dissociate into ten other dimensions. <laughs> all of which were just straight up Otoya's face. <laughs> and, and, then, and, then, and, then he, and then he managed to pull off, like... I, I, what I think Atoya is best at, which is like casually and like the and like super like and it appears to be superficial, but it isn't giving advice. You know, I, I think he's very good at that. My monster of the week is Keisuke. The man doesn't care about justice; he just cares about indulging his button fetish. Yeah, no, Keisuke assaulted police officers and let a murderer out just to steal his button, and then didn't murder him with Iksa. Yeah. Like, that, that's what that's why I said like he fi- he follows like an idolistic view of justice where he only cares about like this basically bronze calf or golden is it a gold calf or a bronze calf it's gold gold he basically just is obsessed with this golden calf and like ignoring the actual teachings of justice also you 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 better make you better make edit this to make me sound like I actually knew what I'm talking about I can try. But yeah, true justice is something that often requires a measure of mercy and being cognizant of shades of gray and try and trying to balance uh, mercy with actually punishing wrongdoing. And Keisuke is not really capable of that. Uh, I mean, I, I think like this is this is in line with his character a bit, but 
I think this is also another case, kind of like a Toya last episode, of uh, Yonamura not writing the characters 100% correctly. Yeah. Because, like, he doesn't really get this this crazy ever really again. Like, this is a turning point where he's more mentally unstable, but he never runs across half of Tokyo shouting about buttons. Yeah. Mommy, the strange button man is back. Shh, shh, quiet, quiet, honey. This is why I had you wear that burlap sack. This is a no-button household. So is Keisuke uh, your monster of the week as well? Uh, yeah, he was my monster of the week. Okay. To the tarot corner. I'm giving an upright strength to Mami Kurosawa. To quote BiddyTarot.com, which is kind of my source for this, for the symbology of tarot. To quote their take on strength. When upright, the strength card speaks to the inner strength and the human spirit's ability to overcome any obstacle. Strength is about knowing you can endure life's obstacles. You have great stamina and persistence, balanced with underlying patience and inner calm. Patience and inner calm are qualities that are pretty important in Japanese archery. And the overcoming obstacles part of it kind of speaks for itself when it comes to the trauma inflicted on her by the starfish bangire. She, she should just like, jo she should join the Blue Sky organization and like be long range support yeah. with like a special Fangire Buster bow. Also, there, there are not enough bows in Kamen Rider. Like weapons that are bows are so good. Yeah. Like in Kamen Rider Gaim, there are a bunch of like these blade bows that the choreography with them is so good. Huh. Now, uh, what is your uh, episode rating? 7.2, discounting the shallow portrayal of PTSD. This episode was all right. We got to see Kiva's coolest form yet, and it got used to great effect. Hmm, really, I'm not the biggest fan of Doba uh, Dogabaki. I, I think it's a little too cluttered. I, I just don't think it looks that good myself. Like, I think his, cl I th besides his base form, and honestly, his final form, I absolutely love, uh, but... I, uh, aside from his base form, I, I think uh, I think Gaudu Saber is the one that looks the cleanest. I'm gonna give it a solid 7.5 because as much as I don't like the case, as much as like contextually I don't like the case case stuff because I know this is like more extreme than he ever goes. It is amusing to watch, and like I did kind of feel bad for him when he was just lying on the floor laughing at with the button. I and it also fixed my least favorite part of last episode, which was Otoya not having his heart of gold. And this is him being like, hey, yeah, this is me. I'm Otoya. I'm a good person deep down. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this episode is a solid improvement on the last one. It had, it had to have the setup, but yeah, it used it to, it's, to good effect. And with that, we are about ready to sign off. Uh, uh, well, also, this episode did have 6.8% viewership. Okay. I just realized this. This is the only appearance of Dogabaki form. Only? Only. What? The only TV appearance. Oh my uh, god. Well, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm going to say this at least about Kiva suits. Like, they look great. They look pretty good. But they are not made well. Like, a lot of them are made, are difficultly made for the stunt uh, actor to perform stunts with them. To the point where, like, when we get, like... Spoiler-ish, when we get to the final form, we're gonna like basically drop OG Kiva form because the way that the chest uh, plate was built, like it was 
basically keeping the suit actor from like properly breathing. They're like, oh, well, no. they're like, you know what? Okay, introduce final form early. We'll use standard form much less. That way, we don't have to like risk you or anything. You know. So like, I think that I think that is one of the big reasons why Dobaki wasn't used because it looks clunky, and I bet the different components didn't really mesh well. But also, yeah, this has 0.1% more viewership than last episode, which means people got really on board with Keisuke shouting for buttons. <laughs> but yeah, that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, Anna, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, honestly, no. At this point, nothing to plug. Uh, just my friendship with you, which Aww. is forever and unbreaking. Aww. We're like, we've ranked 10 to our social link. I think we're still at rank rank eight. I think we rank ten once we finish one season of Common Rider. Oh, and then we like exchange little trinkets, which enable us to f- fuse our respective Arcana's best persona. Yeah, and then uh, then once you end up traveling back in time to like fulfill all the social links, I give you like uh, my little Common Rider figurine, and it lets you activate my ultimate skill right away, <laughs> which is absolute encyclopedic knowledge of Common Rider. Sweet. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Anything Pokemon related? Hint, I hint. do, in fact. If you find the voice, if if you find the sound of my voice, I don't know, sexy or mildly so, then you can hear me butcher it as I as I speak with my with my left cheek pulled up like this. On Apocalypse Now, I play a a guy fused with Totodile genetics, and he's kind of an asshole. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Uh, you can find us on Anchor.fm and a great many podcatchers as well at Common Rider AA. You can find us at Anchor, at Breaker, at, at uh, Radio Public, at, at Apple Podcasts, at Google Podcasts, at uh, FM Radio on 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I took out a radio spot. Also, I, I, met, I, put out, I printed out transcripts of all our episodes and sent them to local libraries across the country. If, go look for them, because in five of them, there are golden tickets. And if you get one, you get a special, you get a special tour of my chocolate factory. Yeah, not your podcast factory. We both know I am, do not have the right words to do podcast factory. <laughs> so yeah, and with that, we're going to go ahead and head Sheen on out of here. Hen! Sheen! Yeah, that brings us to episode 18. Quartet, listen to your heart's voice. Uh, really quickly, I need to grab my computer charger. I want sure. a lower battery than I thought. Like, I'd it. probably be fine, but I just want to. And I'm going to get a real quick drink of water. Because I'm sure thirsty thing. as hell. After all that mommy talk.